Welcome to On the Table, a podcast, whoa, about board games, what's going on, and tabletop war games. I seem to have lost my way from the uh, the typical Song of Ice and Fire content. I'm in some sort of historical era. I, I think I might be in over my head. Uh, excuse me, officer, uh, sir, uh, can you maybe help me navigate this terrain? Oh, of course there, Chase. I'd be happy to. Wait, it's it's Duncan Rhodes. It's what's the legendary Duncan Two Thin Coats Rhodes doing here? Ah, uh, well, I've just been leading this battalion through these lands, and being a big fan of historicals, I heard that you could use some guidance. Well, that that'd be great. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about historical gaming. You know, with you being a longtime content creator and ambassador for the hobby, I can think of no better person than you to help people take their first steps into historical gaming. So. You know, I've played games like Warhammer 40K and and Fantasy and Star Wars Legion, X-Wing, and, you know, of course, A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game. But, you know, although historical war games always look cool, I've never really known where to start. And I thought, you know, maybe you could help us navigate that terrain. Mm, Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, it's, um, I imagine a lot of games have often seen um, a historical game being played. And I'm sure it looks like, you know, massive amounts of troops and lots of scenery and stuff like that. And kind of labyrinthine, I suppose, looking from the outside in. Because uh, <laughs> people who do historical games are into the period. Um, so um, that's kind of what draws them into it. Um, so often you can find that it's intimidating to get into a thing when everyone knows so much about it. It's actually, it's not really a whole lot different from getting into games when they're quite competitive. Um, because those sorts of games, you know, all the players will have their own particular language about it. And historical games tend to as well, at least in my experience, it's just a different sort of language and a different kind of feel about it. Um, coming from like a traditional, and I guess it's not traditional, but coming from maybe the other side of things, like what surprised me was, uh, I was asking some people about, you know, how do I get into this? And I, I maybe looking at this period or that period and, uh, people recommended some books and I picked up one from, uh, I think it's Osprey publishing and it was on like the Greek hoplites and it was like a history book. And I was like, this is so cool. And I was like, just like getting fun of the history. And I'm like, wow, I, the people are recommending for enjoyment of the game, not like a codex or army book or, you know, a very specific source material from the brand, but just like from the period in general, it's sort of like a different mindset in approaching the game. It is. Yeah, it is. It's, um, it's not like, um, historical games are much more of a sandbox kind of thing. And there's so many time periods and areas of the world and rule sets. There's really something for everybody. Um, but the core thing that will generally draw someone into this over something like like a song of ice and fire or warhammer or anything like that is that they got an interest in the period itself uh, or one of the nations in particular um that was certainly the case for me because when i was a kid um i used to watch a tv show called sharp with my dad <laughs> and it's like a drama series set in the napoleonic wars but there's sean loved- beans in it right Exactly. So exactly. all you Song of Ice and Fire fans, you know, we've got a, a direct connection here. <laughs> That's right. It's like it's. Um, don't want to give away spoilers for the first season of Song of Ice and Fire. It's pretty much the only thing where Sean Bean didn't die. Uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> okay. Wow. And um, it's. Uh, I loved it. I loved the sort of the swashbuckling nature of it. And there was a something about the history of that particular period, so the horse and musket period, where you get firing lines of infantry shooting volleys at each other. And I just couldn't understand why on earth they were doing that and why they're not wearing camouflage and using cover. But it, when you learn more about the period, it does make sense. Um, and it actually turns out to be a completely fascinating window of the world in a different time when people had different um, attitudes and priorities and technology and thoughts and beliefs and all this kind of thing. Um, 
so I just found that period fascinating. So I, I suppose I was always going to get into that in wargaming in some way or another. Um, but it's the same for everything. Like you might have somebody who's just completely like fascinated about uh, the Mongol hordes, for example, you know, Genghis Khan, that kind of thing. Um, if they're into wargaming, then probably at some point they're going to think to themselves, and wouldn't it be cool if I could have some of those horsemen in a war game <laughs> and play a game where it feels like the kind of history that they love, you know, the sort of the like the sweeping cavalry maneuvers, you know, will I be able to represent that in a game? And you can. Um, you just got to kind of decide for yourself what it is about that that you like and what you want to, you know, um, enjoy on the tabletop, really. And then um, kind of figure out what rules, what miniatures, what things like that would allow you to do that thing that you want to do. So it, I think historical gaming becomes very personal in that way. Um, it's not like there's a, a big dominant, um, you know, uh, single game or, you know, style that people get into. It's very much what you want to make of it. And so you first got into sort of this, uh, you know, uh, musket and, and horse or uh, period that you're talking about. You know, do you, is that still kind of your favorite era of historical gaming? Um, I think so. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's really it fascinates me um, that time because it's not it's, I mean, it's like 200 years ago ish. Um, but it's still kind of recognizable, but also not recognizable and the kind of things that people do and what they say and believe in them. Um, anyway, so horse and musket so if people are unaware this is like one of the kind of sort of brackets of history that uh, the armies are largely the same across the period and the technology gets better um, so it's not like you'd have an army from the start of this period fighting against an army at the end of this period but the the actual kind of style of warfare is very similar so you'll find often you get rule sets that cover that whole era and this starts from things such as um uh i would say in the uk probably looking at things like bonnie prince charlie and the jacobite rebellion um in american periods it'd be sort of like the french indian war mm -hmm. that kind of time so we're talking about the 1700s really and it goes up to the end of the american civil war where technology's got to the point with weapons that firing lines don't work anymore and cavalry's kind of had its day at that point so that that kind of that kind of window i find really interesting because it's um the pageantry of it the colors the uniforms are so elaborate and unlike anything else that you might see. So for the spectacle of playing it, having all the banners and all the formations, all the colors and everything looks wonderful. But you also get the kind of trio of infantry, artillery and cavalry. And they're kind of like a rock, paper, scissors. And to um, get the feel for it and to play well, I suppose, you've got to understand the elements that each of these three things serve in the overall battle plan. Um, so an army of just cavalry will lose against a balanced army. Um, you've got to understand how you can use these parts to get advantage. So that really draws me in. So there's so many aspects of it. It's that style of warfare, the actual history, the personality of the time, and just the look of it is just wonderful, I think. So even the effort having to paint all these uniforms is completely worth it to me. <laughs> And I've definitely watched your uh, your Napoleonic tutorials on your painting academy a few mm. times. I'm like in anticipation, just like getting so excited. Um, <laughs> for I mean, and then the thing is the the you know just I think that period I think is just like iconic, or I just like associate like if I had to think of like miniature war game mm -hmm. or war gaming, like I think of sort of that uh, musk and horse period. Like I think I've seen in like popular media when there's like someone who's like painting miniatures, they're doing like that era. Um, you know, it's not usually you're watching a show and it's like they're, you know, doing laser beam miniatures and like, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Um, <laughs> and so I think it's even since like a little kid, I just think of like, you know, British soldiers or, uh, you know, maybe yeah. maybe growing up in America, you know, you think of the American Revolution. 
yes, I think that's part of it. I think depending on whereabouts you are in the world, it's going to give you a different opinion on like kind of what you want to represent in such a game, what you're going to be interested in. Um, for being in um, like North America, that certainly makes sense because it's kind of the <laughs> birth of America, isn't it? Is in that period. Is it, you, um, you mean in the uh, UK, not everyone grows up to want to be an American uh, continental <laughs> soldier? That's not a yeah. that's not a childhood dream. We all want to be nice in our own castle. <laughs> oh, it's like medieval stuff, I suppose, here, ancient stuff. Like if you go to a museum in the UK, it goes all the way back to Roman times normally. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it's yeah, it, it is different, I guess. I mean, I but, assume you're you're broadcasting right now from a castle, right? Is that how that oh, works? Is that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in England, everyone lives in a castle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then so we have this musket and horse period. And then kind of what other like if we had to maybe look at maybe a broader timeline, you mentioned medieval. Is that kind of the other yeah. big chunk of time that people might be playing in? Um, kind of. Well, it's kind of bracketed by the technology and the tactics of these, what these armies would use. Um, and I think, like I was saying earlier, it, it's possible certainly to have a, an, a game between an army from like the start of this period versus the army at the end of this period. It can get a little bit weird. Um, balance doesn't quite um, work in the same way as what people might be used to if they're coming from a Song of Ice and Fire, for example. But mm -hmm. um, you, you'd start out, I suppose, the ancient period, I would think of. Um, and that would go from stuff like biblical kind of stuff, like Egypt, for example, like the sort of New Kingdom Egyptians. And I'd say it would go all the way up to, I suppose, the Dark Ages, you know, the fall of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. So I'd kind of turn that as ancients. Then you'd have medieval, which would, I suppose, would be like the last thousand years. Now, game-wise, they're still going to be very similar in the kind of things that you'd experience in it. The main difference is you get like a sort of a rolling evolution of technology, kind of like that counteracts each other so like you'll have the um so it's like in ancients you'll go from like um chariots are awesome up to the point where they figure out how to beat chariots at which point heavy infantry takes over so you have the greek hoplite um that then evolves into spears getting longer so you get the pike phalanx which is like macedonia and then the romans figure out how to beat that so then you get the roman legion and then you get kind of like the fall of rome where the the massed form tactics stop working but heavy cavalry sort of takes over um, then Dark Ages, no one has the technology to really fight that stuff. So that eventually gets superseded by people who do organize, where you start to get heavy cavalry become the dominant field, up until the point when pikes and guns start to appear in numbers, at which point knights are kind of beaten by it. So you can see how it's it's still close combat as a dominant thing. Um, it's still about trying to, you know, go into a meat grinder, I suppose, against the enemy. But you can see the weapons technology gradually evolves. So an army from the later in that period will generally beat an army per earlier in the period because in real life that's what happened um but when you get to medieval i'd say heavy cavalry kind of takes over and that would go up to the renaissance at which point it starts to turn into the next bracket which i'd term pike and shot um which is where you would have a block of pike armed troops and they would be kind of supporting troops armed with muskets but these are early muskets so they don't reload very fast they're unreliable they haven't really well bayonets haven't been invented properly yet so the pikes are used to defend the musketeers against cavalry so you get um the start of that sort of rock paper scissors thing i mentioned earlier mm -hmm. um this goes along up until the point where musket technology gets good enough that pikes are kind of like phased out and that's when you get to the pike and musket and the horse and musket kind of period um which is you know the the american revolutionary war napoleonic wars and the american war of independence uh, the um, american civil war i would say is the main parts of that now when you get to the end of the american civil war the next phase begins because gun technology starts getting so good that really it's about firefights and close combat doesn't really happen anymore uh, at least not in great numbers 
So that would take you up to World War One. Now, World War One, I, I guess, is kind of like its own sort of gaming thing if you wanted to play that because of like the nature of how that war went. Um, but then you get to World War Two. Now, World War Two is such a popular period. Um, I would say out of historicals, it's the most popular period to game. Um, and if anyone's ever played Warhammer 40,000, they'll be quite familiar at how a general World War II game tends to behave. Um, tanks and infantry is their thing. Um, and then after that, you get into the modern era, which I must admit, I don't really have much experience of. But uh, I would say there's the bracket. So to, to We'll give you a way. pass on, you know, covering, you know, the entire yeah. span of human warfare. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just a quick scoop of it. Yeah, I mean, like modern modern stuff is a little bit too um, too close to home for me personally. Yeah. But like everyone's got their own opinions on it, so that's cool. You know, you just like you pick what you want to do, really, don't you? But it's so I would say ancient is a bracket, then medieval, then pike and shot, then horse and musket, then um, up to World War One. I'm not sure how you'd phrase that, and then World War Two. Those are the kind of main bits, as I see it, anyway. And so I guess then you would then pick a a period that you're interested in. And, you know, and then dive in now, um, you know, one thing I was noticing as I was looking through, uh, there's a lot of different rule sets out there. And um, in a way that I thought was fascinating is it's sort of it's decoupled from uh, the sort of miniature ranges. Yes. Yeah. And so coming from a different like maybe where it's like, you know, Fantasy Flight Games has all the rights to make Star Wars Legion miniatures or mm -hmm. Dark Sword miniatures are going to be the ones that are making a Song of Ice and Fire miniatures um you know it's sort of interesting to suddenly have a, a, a kind of a wide range of options to look at mm -hmm. for sculpts yeah um yeah absolutely so there's like there's loads and they they all have their own kind of character and after you've been in in, in historical stuff enough you kind of start to notice what who the big manufacturers are and you start to see who the little manufacturers are and you get a feel as to which ones can be mixed because you won't just go for one generally you'll tend to mix between different ones to get the stuff that you want um and really it's a matter of taste um so there's a company for example called war games foundry who have been around a long long time and i like them because the first um historical war games rule book i saw was warhammer ancients and in that it oh, was imperial, imperial romans yeah one Ancients. Man, i brilliant. always wanted to play that was like one of the games that i never oh, yeah. got but when i was when it came out i remember being like <laughs> oh man <laughs> or you know, when I'm aware of it, it's just so cool. Oh, oh yeah, but, I played a good few games of that. That was the the first historical army I fully made was for that, and I did. Was it, it was like that, I think it was like was it like early Imperial Romans they had? Or, I don't know, but there yes. was. Oh <laughs> yeah, in in their rule book they had early Imperial Romans versus um, Britons, so yes. like the, you know the the Celtic British tribes, and um, I wanted to do the Roman army straight away, but the, the the images in the book they had were miniatures from War Games Foundry. So they, for me, were like initially the quintessential historical miniature. Now there's loads of companies since then. Um, Foundry's still going, um, and you can still buy the same Roman miniatures there. Um, and they, they well, they're really it's nice. It's a dangerous that's conversation like, <laughs> I'm like looking yeah. at. It's like, yeah, man, it, there's, there's so many, but that's just one of them. And it's in the last 10 years in particular, there's been a bit of a revolution in multi-part plastic kits appearing in historical miniatures. So there's lots and lots of options there. Um, but the, the way you do it um, is you'd pick a time period. And with this kind of thing, normally you'd end up picking it with some friends, I suppose, because mm -hmm. it's it's more of like a, a collaborative narrative sort of thing, I guess. Um, so, yeah, you pick one particular period, probably a particular sort span of time in that era. And there are particular ones that work very well for this kind of thing. But you go for one of those, you pick a side, and then the fun of it is learning about that army and about a bit of history 
and likely you'll have been drawn to it already because of an interest in that particular army. Right. Say, for example, if you're interested in Romans, you've seen Gladiator a few times and you love the idea of doing Imperial Romans, right? That's what drew me to doing them when I finally did paint an army. Um, So you go, okay, cool, I'm going to do those. Your friends might be doing like one of the many enemies of Rome. Um, and then you'll start looking as to which models you like. So off you go to like Google or something, 28 millimeter early Imperial Romans, um, see what see what there is um, and pick whatever takes your fancy. And then off you go. Um, now, for those ancient games, um, one of the things that, you know, so if anybody local is listening to this uh, and wants to play ancients, I've always been like, I, you know, my heritage is French and I've always been obsessed with like the Gauls or like Vercingetorix. And it'd be like, mm-hmm. I would love to play that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so smash some Romans if anyone has some Romans around here. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so for the bases then, I, I always got a little nervous jumping in because uh, I saw some games have, I think it's like SPQR has like uh, the like round bases. Mm-hmm. Other people have their square bases and they're putting them in trays. And I'm mm-hmm. like kind of afraid to jump in and do like the wrong thing if I want mm-hmm. to like explore game systems. Yeah, totally understand that. Um, so it used to be... Um, it, in some eras, it's worse than others. Um, Napoleonic era can be a little bit of a stickler for this. Um, okay. Base sizes can be a thing. More modern rule sets don't worry about it because okay. they've come to the understanding that um, people are going to collect armies and want to try different games. So if you if your game system is variable and allows different basing conventions, then that means more people can play your game um, and there's less barriers to entry to get into that one. So for a more modern game, it's not a problem. So a game like SPQR, um your miniatures just need to be individually based and that's it okay um, and that i would say holds true for a lot of things now what you often have is um a footprint for a unit so have you ever seen how you get bases where there's multiple miniatures on each base yeah i saw you know maybe now i had to be jumping eras but i saw for mm. some napoleonics like black powder it seemed like they had like four on a square yes now that kind of thing's done for convenience um just moving large groups of miniatures in one go um, so it tends to be that the individual infantry figure has a footprint of 20 millimeters by 20 millimeters, okay. roundabouts. Um, that said, you could put them on a circle base if you wanted to. A common thing in the UK is to use one penny coins, um, mm. especially more recent one penny coins because they're, um, they're magnetic. So you can oh, get them movement trays with magnets in them and they'll lock down into it, or you can take them off and play them as individual pieces. Um, people often use movement trays so you can put groups together. Um, but it, it, different methods appeal to different people. Um, but like I say, with modern rule sets, it's not something that really matters a great deal. Um, I find, if in doubt, individually basing your miniatures is the best thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. And I have two approaches that I use. The first is, as I mentioned, with coins. Um, the other would be to get hold of, uh, there's a whole host of companies out there that make MDF bases for, for gamers. And you can buy ones that are laser cut uh, 20 millimeter by 20 millimeter with a circle in the middle, like a clear circle of say five millimeters square. If you get a hold of some magnets off Amazon, you can just plug them right in there. And then your movement tray just needs to have some of that rubber metal sheeting on it and your models will lock down to it. So you can change base formations however you want for any game you want to play. Um, oh, it's uh, actually Roger and I were talking today about just this thing. We reckon there could be a video in making different base sizes for historical games. Yes, I would appreciate that because the other video yeah. in your, I mean, all your videos are amazing, especially your Song of Ice and Fire ones, mm-hmm. uh, because we're always, we're always talking about Song of Ice and Fire here. But uh, the other one is I, I really hadn't done a lot of this uh, was transfers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your video on transfers is like, oh, yeah, like that's really helpful. <laughs> 
Um, oh, well, we, we filmed one just today. Um, I'll, I'll talk about that shortly. I think you'll like that one. Um, but yeah, if, so if in doubt, um, if you look at the old style of Warhammer base, because Warhammer Fantasy is a kind of um, a core of how Wargaming's ended up these days. And through that, Warhammer Ancients has become kind of a core of a lot of historical games. Um, and that spacing convention was for infantry, a 20 millimeter by 20 millimeter square. For cavalry, a 25 millimeter by 50 millimeter rectangle. And then for artillery, a bit more random, doesn't really matter a great deal. But those, <laughs> those sizes, if you base your miniatures like that, you'll be able to play just about anything. So that's what I'd recommend if people are interested. Obviously, the ancients are so fascinating. I love that. <clears throat> I think it's something I'm also looking forward to just like picking up to paint. You know, mm. having some Gauls and some some early Imperial Romans with like their shields and stuff. Like that's just something that's I think is cool. So one thing I was noticing that because the game systems are flexible, that you can, you know, use miniatures with multiple game systems, it seems like it's the kind of thing where if you invest into it and as your collection grows, really what's just happening is you have more options to play more types mm -hmm. of games. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's absolutely. like a pretty so, nice investment. You have to worry about like being stuck with just this one thing. Yeah. Um, well, you get um, so you get different games that do they have different feels and mm. they kind of cover different things. And that there are some games that are more competitive than others. Um, so if players are into that sort of style of game, then they all want to look at games that have that kind of built into them. So there's a game called Impetus, for example, um, that has tournaments for it. And that one has very fixed base sizes. And all you have to do if you decide you want to play that is make a little movement tray that's the right footprint size and then put whatever models you want on top of it and you're free to go. Okay, so um, that might be, if you're a kind of a more of a competitive style gamer, yeah. that might be a good one to jump in with. Does that do like points values and lists and all those sorts of things? It does. There's actually there's actually two versions of it. So there's one called Basic, Imp Imp Basic Impetus. And there's another one just called Impetus. Mm -hmm. um, Basic Impetus, um, so it used to be free to seal the army lists, but you had to buy the rule book for it. I can't, okay. I'm not sure it's changed. But for Basic Impetus, your armies are kind of set combinations so that all the armies are balanced with each other. Um, huh. So I guess in theory you could have Romans fighting against Knights Templar and it still should work out. Um, but that one has yeah very fixed stuff. Now when it comes to the regular Impetus game, then you do have points values and you'll play a I don't know 300 points game and you'll take whatever you want. Um, so points values do exist in a lot of these sorts of things, um, but you don't have to follow them. Um, although I understand that they're very much a core part of gaming that people will have got used to through most access points to this hobby. Um, but it, it varies from game to game, you know, and it, it depends what sort of thing you want out of it and also what kind of level of game that you want. Um, so, for example, if you wanted to get into um, Napoleonics, mm -hmm. then the, the image that comes to mind is, of course, the grand mass battles of it. Now, that's extremely intimidating to somebody getting into it, like how <laughs> He figures right from the start but there's smaller scale games that start with skirmish so for example there's a game called forager where the idea is that your army is a foraging party and you'll have maybe 10 miniatures so that's a good entry uh, oh interesting i hadn't heard of this one. Oh yeah then after that there's another one um by osprey um it's called um uh, rebels and patriots and they've got another one called Chosen Men as well. Now, Chosen Men is specifically Napoleonic, and it's a bit more granular in terms of what Warhammer 40,000 is like. Uh, Rebels and Patriots is a bit lighter um, and a bit more... Someone who plays A Song of Ice and Fire will recognize the army building very quickly, I think. Um, and it's a bit more of a light-hearted version of things. So it depends what the player wants. Now, after that, a slightly larger game is called Sharp Practice. 
And this one is very much based on the Sharp TV series. It's about <laughs> the big men ordering troops around. And um, this one's popular because it's actually quite cool. You've got, um, so your army is generally formed around like groups of infantry that form into formations and you actually maneuver them as you would a line infantry unit. Um, so they like wheel and all this kind of stuff. And when the actual battle begins, it normally revolves around two firing lines shooting volleys at each other. So it's like a full of musketry duel, a duel. And you're trying to keep the morale of your troops up because the side whose morale drops to zero loses. So it's not about killing the enemy. It's about trying to uh, okay. And so yeah. everything's about like trying to push this firefight in your favor. So it's really fun in that way. And your officers get to have duels with each other and stuff like that. So it's a bit like a TV show that. And then after that, you, if you've got enough to play sharp practice, it's usually very easy to then step up to black powder, which is like the big grand scale game. So if you, you kind of um, follow in that order, you'll find your, your collection builds over time so you can play bigger and bigger games. And when you get to the size of black powder, you'll find that's very much, uh, people call it a beer and pretzels game. It's very chilled out. Um, it's very whimsical in that you basically say what you want your troops to do. And then the dice determine how well those orders are followed. <laughs> and it's possible for the orders to get mixed up and they can go off and do their own thing uh, <laughs> it's hilarious when it happens but <laughs> and that's like so much fun too just like one of the things i noticed and i was watching a few black powder videos and just people getting together and having fun and like i don't know in a lot of ways it really just captures a lot of these games i was seeing like captures kind of like what was kind of you get into wargaming in the beginning for yes. like it's like you know it's about the community and hanging out with people and having a good time and like honestly pushing around cool miniatures on the table Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it, I think it has a more relaxed atmosphere to it generally um, because you're drawn to it because of a personal interest in the thing that you want to portray. Mm -hmm. um, I think if someone wants to be competitive, there are, you know, there are games for it. Like I mentioned, Impetus has um, got a tournament scene to it. Um, there's also Bolt Action, which is World War II. That's made and that by one sounds, I think it's a, that's a very popular one, right? I, I, oh, I yeah, hear of that yeah. one a, a lot. Yeah, I think that's the most popular historical war game there is. Um, okay. And it, it makes sense because, you know, everyone can like understand the concept of when it comes to what World War II and what stuff's supposed to do. Um, the models are easy to paint, and um, there's a huge range available for it. There's so many different World War II manufacturers, but Bolt Action is really good entry point because it's a lot like playing Warhammer 40,000. Um, mm. If you take a look at the army lists and the organization charts and the sort of like nature of it, then people will pick on it very quickly. Um, but even then, it has like a sort of a whimsical activation routine where you don't know who's going to go next. So that's really fun. Um, but yeah, but every period has this kind of different options of rule sets available. Um, so really, it is like a thing like if you and your friend are going to get into one of these periods, like if you're going to do your um, Romans against um, your Britons um, or against your Gauls or something like that, <laughs> then you will together say what sort of game you want to play. And through that, you can then find your way to the rule set that will suit you. Yeah, it seemed like one of the biggest things that came up when I was asking around, and particularly with the Napoleonic, is that people had very strong feelings about scale. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that that's always tough because like, I'm, I'm used to kind of more of the Song of Ice and Fire, like, you know, or what is that, like 35 millimeter uh, scale miniatures. And these are usually like 28. Um, mm -hmm. or, well, I guess a lot of the historicals assume are 28, but some people are saying, you know, you got to be only, it's only good to play six. And other people are saying <laughs> it's like only 28. And, it's like, oh no, like I, I just like how the 28 millimeter look because I like having, I don't know, it just seems cool to have miniatures that size. And I was like, oh no, am I like, once again, I, you know, am I going to be jumping in and doing things wrong by? Oh no, 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 no. Um, it's, it's one of those things, it's a personal choice. Um, I'm just like you in that I like 28 millimeter the most. I think it's the best balance you get between detail on the miniature and getting a, a good amount of them on the board to feel like you've got an army. 
but different players different scales and you can actually you can um so if someone wants to play the uh, the grand battle um black powder for example mm -hmm. but you didn't want to spend all the time painting up that many 28 millimeter figures then you can just go for a smaller scale you could go for 10 millimeter six millimeter whatever you want and you just change the distances so the default one in black powder is inches you just change it to centimeters and all mm -hmm. of a sudden you've like brought it down by what less than a half as to how far things will move and what the ranges are and things so your board effectively goes from a six foot board to a what 10 no 12 14 foot board wide wow. um so that's the sort of the ratio of what you suddenly get so it depends on what you want and people will get fixated on particular things but i mean i generally wouldn't go for the six millimeter because i think the miniatures look a bit too small um, right but maybe someone who's like um, more just about the game like playing hmm. not not maybe the painting side that would be there yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. I feel like most people I've been talking to have been talking about 28. So <laughs> that, that's yes. reassuring. Um, <laughs> well, I and, think 28 mil is fine. Um, it's, uh, and again, it depends on what you want. If you do want to get the mass battle thing really quickly, then yeah, you probably want to go for a smaller scale. Um, but you can play anything you want with the 28 millimeter figures. Small skirmish, grand battle, anything you want to go for. And then, you know, so say I want to start up with uh, Napoleonic era and maybe i want to look at you know napoleonic french that might be uh cliche i don't know in the in the genre <laughs> if that's like everybody that plays that i, I don't know <laughs> um but you know so i would then you know i pick up a rule set and i would buy a box of miniatures i mean these miniatures are you know pretty competitively priced i was surprised that like mm -hmm. in a lot of them you're almost getting like a one for one dollar at least like uh set um yeah and you yeah, know, yeah. you said a few things. It was Rebel and Patriots. Maybe start with one of the smaller games like that, and then work up to a larger set. Yeah, that's what I go for. Well, as I think, as a good plan, if um, so, if Napoleonics were the period that people were interested in, mm -hmm. um, Rebels and Patriots is a great choice because it's very, like I said, it's very light. Um, oh, that, they, and that's that one is American uh, War of Independence, though. Is that? It's yeah, it's North America um, horse and musket period, but. The soldier types are generic enough to be anything anywhere in the world from okay. that period. So you can easily play Napoleonic with it. The only thing you don't get is the heavy cavalry thing. So mm -hmm. like things like Curassier. Um, but you could do those if you wanted to. It's very easy to make them up. Um, but the general format of that game is you play to your army's 24 points. Um, this will typically be about five units. Um, and the units are for infantry are 12 strong. Um, for cavalry, they are. I believe six strong for light cavalry um and what you do is um you'll present with your army list for example and you'll have line infantry four points um well i can select a special rule on them good shooters as an extra point this then effectively flavor wise makes them british line infantry because they were known okay. for having firepower right for the french on the other hand you could select aggressive to represent them making a column attack so wanting to get and you know get at the enemy and try and drive them back so that way you can very easily change the flavor to the army that you want. Now, um, the other advantage of it is if you go for um, a, uh, so there's a brand of miniatures that I really like called Perry Miniatures, and they've got various box sets of all these different nations in the Napoleonic Wars. Now, they've got a great box for the British, and they've got two really good boxes, well, three, but two different uniform flavors of the French. There's one where it's um, 1809 to 12, I believe it is, and the other one is 1812 to 15. Basically, that's very similar, but the cut of the uniform changes slightly. But <laughs> um, should I be really careful about jumping in and being like, I should pick a year 
Oh God, no, no, no! You should like look at the ones that you like the most of and just go for that. <laughs> okay. like, you, you shouldn't. If someone won't play against your French army because the coattails are too short, then you could probably go and play against somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. That's my opinion of it. And um, people will be different sticklers for it. For me, it's about playing the movie of the period, really, to get, mm-hmm. just get a feel of it and have a good time. Um, but anyway, the for the French, for example, as soon as you mentioned them. Um, if you were to go for the later period box, this is the kind of uniform they wore at the Battle of Waterloo. Um, inside that box, you get um, 12 elite French infantry um, because you get different sorts of infantry in their regiment, right? So you could paint these up as grenadiers. Then you get, um, if you put your officer and drummer and your standard bearer into the regular line infantry, you get 24 of them. Um, so that's three units. Um, so you've got your elite grenadiers, you've got 12 Fusiliers are called, and then another 12 fusiliers with the command group in. And then you get six skirmishers. Now, working out the points for Rebels and Patriots, this comes out to about 20 points. So if you were to add a cannon, which you can just buy as a separate metal miniature, you've got a full army. So that's one box and a cannon, you've got a full army. Wow. Um, that's, I think, a nice bite size amount to get to get into it. And likewise, yeah. side, um, you build the British infantry. So they have slightly different combinations of troops, but largely the same things. So they go for two infantry, line infantry units, one grenadier unit. I think with the British set, you've got the option you could play around with the command group to either have them in the grenadiers or the line infantry as you choose. And then you get some riflemen as little skirmishers. Now, if you, to, if you were to get a blister pack of riflemen characters to go with that, I think the British comes out as 24 points, and if I remember my maths correctly, because they're slightly more elite. Um, but there you go. That's, again, just paint the whole stamp onto that box. You can play Rebels and Patriots, and off you go. Um, base them on individual 20 by 20 bases or coins or whatever you want to. Have fun. Off you go. It's really as simple as that. Um, and then you can play around with it from there, because once you get a feel for the rules, you might decide, I want to have an army that's fully cavalry, like a French army that's all dragoons. So you have all cavalry <laughs> and dismissed dragoons. How cool would that be? Um, <laughs> that would be cool. Although, having just finished up my Targaryen starter set, I, I can take a little break from horses just for a little bit. At least these people all have their shirts on. It's not just like horses and all skin tones was was a bit much. I was. Uh... <laughs> now, the other good great thing about those particular box sets um, is that inside them you get a little leaflet that explains the uniforms to you and explains briefly what the troop types are. Um, now, there's easily more information available about this kind of stuff on the internet. It can get a little overwhelming, um, but um, in a nutshell, inside these infantry regiments, you get different sorts of soldier. You get skirmishers, elite ones called grenadiers, and you'll get your regular infantry. And the names might change, but you basically get those three. Um, so for Napoleonics, that, I think, is the easiest way to get into it. And then if you wanted to evolve past playing Rebels and Patriots and try something with a little bit more um, specific flavor that's Napoleonic, then moving to sharp practice would be a very easy thing to do. And these miniatures I'm noticing come with round bases. That'll be okay because I'll just slot them into a tray that has a round uh, spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those kind of movement trays are called Sabot trays. Um, they're just the same. The Song of Ice and Fire movement trays, they're yeah. Sabot trays. Now you can different companies will make MDF ones that you can get cut to whatever size and dimensions that you want. So okay. whatever you want, if you want a, a two by six to have your twelve infantry in one of those, you can get hold of those, no problem. They, they don't cost very much. Well, that's awesome. And then I know you've got your painting tutorials on your in your academy site for the French Fusiliers, so I can mm-hmm. make sure I get them all so, looking nice. Yeah, the French Fusilier in that video is actually one of the newer Perry miniature ones. Um, so the slightly earlier period. So this mm-hmm. is the kind of soldiers that for people interested in it. That's what the French would probably be wearing in the Peninsular War, so in Spain, okay. um, fighting against the Duke of Wellington. 
Um, and the main difference is the coattails are a bit longer, but there's not much aside from that. But the kit is very nice. Now, in that particular kit, you've got way more options to, as to how you build them. That's why I kind of suggest the other box set of French is a little bit more beginner friendly because it's a bit more, um, there, there's less choice. So mm -hmm. it's a bit easy to guide you into understanding what this stuff is. But that newer box set is great because you get things like sappers, who are guys with massive two-handed axes and big beards and stuff. And they're the ones who like break down doors and stuff. And That's you get, awesome. Uh, <laughs> you get bodyguards for so a French regiment would have an eagle, which is like touched by Napoleon himself. So things mm -hmm. are super precious. You get the two bodyguards that stand either side of the eagle who are holding halberds and have got pistols. So you get like all these little extra options, you see. <laughs> that's amazing um, yeah. so yes yeah, so that's a that's a great box set one i definitely recommend now in the academy yes we've currently got the british infantryman and we've got the french infantryman and they're both actually how i painted my own so if anyone's curious as to like how i do mine that's how they are it's definitely easier to speed up the painting process of them and this is something i've been working on as like a speed painting kind of thing um i know i talked to you offline a bit about it um so i've taken lots of photos as to how i did it so i'm sure there's something that can be done by that but you can simplify how you paint them a lot now, in the Academy, we're also soon going to be adding a Roman legionary uh, because we're going to start doing some ancient Oh, nice. And uh, now, the, the thing about Romans, right, is their shield, isn't it? That's Right. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, don't worry, actually, because um, so this is amazing. So, you know, you know decals, right? Um, yeah. Transfer and stuff. There's a company called Little Big Men Studios who make shield transfers for just about everything you can imagine for all the different manufacturers that you could find. And they make these transfers specifically for the shield size of those things. Now, the brand of miniature we used is Victrix, who are actually, I believe they're related to Little Big Man Studios, but they have a multi-part plastic kit of Romans and they're beautiful, it's all, all size to match. The way these transfers work is they're actually a bit like a sticker. So the shield, you just paint it white, and then you get this um, transfer, you cut it, cut it out um, with like a knife or something. You peel the, the plastic film off it, you stick it to the shield and then you paint the back of the paint, maybe the back of the transfer with water and it's paper so it soaks in. After about five seconds, the paper comes off and you have an instant Roman shield and it looks beautiful. Uh, it's so easy to do. So if anyone's ever been interested in doing Romans or Gauls or anything like that and the shields intimidate them, if you buy those shields, you will be so happy. You'll get a beautiful looking army very, very fast. Yeah, because when you look, I mean, like this, like little like yellow, uh, like lines, lightning bolt sort of things. It's like mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. looks like a nightmare otherwise. <laughs> it's not. Trust me, it's not. And um, yeah, in this video, we go through the process of putting these things on and we do it all real time. It takes no time at all. It's so easy. It's far easier than regular transfers. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's not for no reason that if you were to go and start Googling for 28 millimeter Imperial Romans, I guarantee you, most of the ones you see will have these little big men's shield transfers on those miniatures. They're that easy to use. They look that good. That's amazing. Okay, so that's good. That's another good piece to know because that's another thing. Like there are some details, or even like uh, I don't know if they do that as well for flags. Um, oh yeah, they do flags. The Polonic flags. I was like, oh boy, <laughs> like I mm -hmm. don't know. <laughs> well, again, there's lots of different companies. Usually, a box set, um, a plastic box set of miniatures will usually come with paper banners that you can use with them, and um, that's certainly the case for Warlord games and for Perry miniatures. Um, but there are other companies that make flags as well. Um, so, um, oh, well, the name skips me as the one I generally use. Um, oh, I'm sure it's going to come to me sooner or later. But yeah, there's loads of them around there, loads and loads of different ones you can go for. And they are gorgeous prints. You know, you just buy like the specific banner you want for three pounds and then just pop it onto your miniature. And so, you know, I think we had a great walkthrough on Napoleons. Uh, and if, if, you're, if you have time, I'd love to maybe just, just hit a few uh, of the ancients that, games that maybe mm -hmm. people might be. If, if, you know, you've been listening, you're like, ah, you know, not as <laughs> Napoleonics. Like, I want to, you know, have a Gladius or something. 
Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I was trying to, it looked like Hail Caesar might have some similarities to Black Powder. Mm. Um, is that, it I don't is. know if I'm speaking, if that's correct, but. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it, it is. It's got, it's same sort of core thing. The Warlord games, um, they've got a few games that are very similar like that. So they've got Hail Caesar, then they've got Pike and Shot for the Pike and Shot period, then they've got Black Powder for the Horse and Musket period, and they all have the same core mechanic to them. Um, so the thing about them is they generally conditioned for um large battles mm -hmm. but it's up to the players to decide how big those units are so you might decide that a regular so you just kind of arbitrary declare like this is a standard size unit this is a large unit this is a small unit this is a tiny unit and so your roman legionaries you might decide that a standard unit of roman legionaries is going to be um six guys across the front and two deep so 12 miniatures and that's your unit. Likewise, you could have the unit be um, eight wide and then three deep, and so it becomes 24 miniatures. It's really up to how you guys want to do it. Um, so you don't have to paint a million models to play it. Gotcha. But the feel of that game is what I think appeals to people. And it's, um, it's like I say, basically what you do is you say, when it comes to your turn, your army's going to be divided up into various divisions, and this will be like a single miniature that will represent the commander of it, then a number of units, and it will typically be three units. Um, I'd say the minimum requirement to play a game of Hell Seas will be six units arrayed like this in two divisions. But what you do is uh, um, you'd start with that guy and you'd say, right, he's going to order these two Legion units to move up to this hill here and then form into line of battle. And then you'd work out, well, they can move six inches for each move. They've got to go 12 inches. So that's two moves. And then the change formation is the third move. So that's kind of three actions. You then roll a test, a lot like a morale test in Song of Ice and Fire. Mm -hmm. And depending on how much you pass it by, it tells you how many of those orders are then enacted. So you might have none of the orders get enacted and your troops just stay there doing nothing. You might roll really badly and it becomes a fumble and a random thing happens and they go running off doing something <laughs> else. Or you might get your orders through and the troops do exactly what you want. So that's the general feel of how those games work. Um, <clears throat> other alternatives would be to take a look at Osprey Publishing. So... Um, They've got a game called Men of Bronze, which is all about Greek hoplites, and that's focused on classical Greece about hoplite warfare. Um, and it kind of drifts into you get the Persians there as well, and you get the Macedonians. Um, they've got a game called Lion Rampant, which is designed to be medieval, but you can very easily use ancient troop types in place, um, like, for example, heavy infantry with Roman legionaries, right? Um, so that's not a good choice. There's one called Clash of Empires which I don't know a massive amount, but I, I understand it is the spiritual successor to Warhammer Ancients. Oh, wow. uh, okay. There's Warhammer Ancients, which if you can find it, is like Warhammer 5th edition, but with ancient stuff, and is a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a new release just come out in the last few weeks, which is called Infamy Infamy. Um, so this is made by the same people who make um, Sharp Practice, and it has a very... Oh, it's the same, because I watched the video with a gentleman i think his name was richard but yes uh, he yeah. was just like the most delightful person oh he's i like was watching yeah. it and i was like what like i kind of want to play this game because this yeah. guy just seems yeah. so awesome like well, yeah yeah you can just see by the way that he is he's he's a lovely guy in all these videos he's played he's so jolly and <laughs> playing the game so you can get a general idea of it it's um it's a bit like sharp practice in that um so you don't maneuver the units as such you're actually playing the characters and you'll have say like your roman army will be led by a centurion so it's a bit more small focused so um each model represents one guy whereas in a game of hail caesar each model might represent 10 guys for example right oh, okay so it's a smaller thing and um you're doing a patrol on the border of the empire 
and you might get ambushed by some um, some Britons, for example. So it's quite narrative in that way. And the basic way the game works is that you'll have a deck of cards, uh, which you get with the rule book, and these will have markers in it that represent the different characters. Now, when that card's drawn, that character activates, and they'll do stuff like they'll move, they'll fight, whatever. But one of their actions can be to give a unit next to them some orders. And so the character orders the unit to do stuff. So the game's got quite a strong feel of command and control about it. Oh, interesting. Um, and yeah, and it, it behaves in a very sort of narrative kind of way. Now, that game, as I understand it, typically 50 miniatures is a full-size army. Mm -hmm. um, so the Romans I've seen as an army would be something like 24 legionaries, um, 16 auxiliaries. And then you might have another eight auxiliaries with javelins or something like that. So that's an army for that. So you can see it's quite an achievable amount to do. Um, and they, as I understand it, are going to be bringing out expansions because they told me on Twitter, actually. that um, <laughs> they, and I was like, this looks amazing. If you guys do ancient Greeks, I'm, I'm going to be in trouble. Or like, you know, um, successors wars after Alexander the Great. And they're like, oh, we're planning that for our first expansion. Oh, <laughs> wicked. So <laughs> looks like I'm going to be playing that. But man, after painting this Roman today, I'm very tempted to play with an Imperial Roman army soon. <laughs> well, maybe someday we'll bump into each other and I can, uh, maybe by then I'll have some, uh, not only Napoleonics, but maybe some some <laughs> tribesmen and uh, Vercingetorix and his and the Gauls can be coming down to attack your, your beautifully painted Romans. <laughs> Sounds like you're free folk, man. <laughs> there we go. Wait a second, I'm noticing a, a theme yeah. here. You're right. Darn it, am I just playing the same thing over and over again? I am. I didn't realize that. Good grief. Oh. You are actually a bit of a rarity with that because those armies tend not to be the most popular ones because I think people are a bit intimidated by painting with the skin. So not as difficult doing that as it used to be. Um, you can contrast paints really help out with that sort of thing. That's um, but people tend to want to go from that combination. People tend to go for the Romans in my experience. Um, but uh, but I think when they do the Hellenistic expansion, so the Hellenistic period for people unaware is um, after the after the death of Alexander the Great because um, you got the the Greek city states Macedon rises. Um, and basically takes over. Um, Alexander the Great then takes the Greek world and attacks the Persian Empire and keeps going and kind of spreads Greek culture all throughout the Mediterranean, all over. Um, now, when he dies, all of his um, generals fight amongst each other for control of his empire. So it fractures into numerous successor states, which all have the same sort of history, but they get different flavors about them. So the Seleucid Empire, for example, has heavy chariots with sides on it, whereas the Ptolemaic Empire has um, these uh, elephants and lighter infantry and mercenaries from Greece and stuff. So they all sort of have their own variation of it. Now, this happens shortly before the Romans come on the scene. So you actually get a situation where you have the Republican Romans, the Carthaginians, the various Greek successors, Greece itself, um, Gallic tribes, so Gauls who go south into the Mediterranean area. You've also got the Gallic tribes up north, um, and there's just more beyond it. So you see, you get all these empires that all have a distinct flavor, all fighting roughly at the same time. So I think that expansion is going to be really exciting because it's no longer going to be either Romans or barbarians. Yeah. What flavor of successor Greek do I want? Or do I want oh, to go man. Roman? Or do I want to go Carthaginian? Or, and they're all going to play differently. So I think that's, that's going to so be so much cool stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if, if anyone's listening to this and they're interested in trying out ancients, that time period is really good. Uh, around about the Second Punic War, um, around about the 200 BCs kind of thing. If you look into that period there, you'll find there's loads and loads of factions and an excellent support of different miniature ranges for it too. Amazing. So if, you know, people are listening and they've been thinking about maybe getting into historicals, you know, 
I think a lot of times, especially I've, you know, you, you kind of go, some stores I think are maybe a little bit more aggressive in the marketing of like the kind of new shiny, like, um, box set, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to say like big brand because it, historical miniatures are big brands, but sort of like maybe sometimes it's like a different sort of marketing style. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you know, you don't maybe always look towards historical if your store doesn't focus on that, if it's kind of more of like a, it sells magic cards and like, you know, mm-hmm. the newest fantasy flight game or Warhammer game. Um, you know, this is such a, an amazing genre. And I think just in me trying to like find out information and find communities and interact with people, like I've just mm-hmm. already met so many cool people who are so excited and willing to share. And I mean, we're literally like getting to play history here. Like it's yeah. just yeah. so cool. Yeah. Well, people so I would like recommend to- <laughs> people do what if scenarios people like to recreate mm-hmm. actual battles some people like to do their own little campaign you know sort of set in a particular year and then go in their own direction or just a straight pickup game you know everything's covered for my my local scene is not playing historicals but there are some not too far away that are and i already was just like getting excited i, I missed it but they do like i guess like every quarter they do some like huge battles they did it for the fourth of july they did a giant american war of independence uh oh, game so- and i was just like what i mean i gotta wait another year but but maybe i'll have something paid in by then if i or you know just yeah. things like that and i was like this is really cool so yeah, check your yeah. local communities and yeah. if you are jumping into it like you know reach out let me know what you're doing if you're taking your first steps in like maybe we'll be on the same page and if you're an expert like reach out and let me know any advice you have it's always appreciated i'd love to see miniatures too especially if they're painted or how you base them hmm. oh, and absolutely. uh yeah, and I don't know, and Duncan, any uh, any shout outs or, uh, you know, as we start to wrap things up, any other maybe things that we forgot to talk about that I don't know in my lack of knowledge about this this genre? <laughs> um, I think, um, so if anyone's just wanting to, like, the, I think the core, like I say, the core thing of trying out historical game is going to be being interested in a certain period, which means you're probably going to have in mind something that you'd like to collect already if you're interested in this sort of thing and the question is then what manufacturers to go for right because there's going to be loads now there's loads and loads and everyone's going to have their own particular tastes but if in doubt ones that i'd recommend people take a look at are first of all perry miniatures who are guys who used to sculpt for games workshop they went independent um eight or nine years ago or so and they've got a colossal range of models that are well supported with core plastic box sets so like what people be used to on sprues with options and stuff and um, they're supported by a huge range of metal miniatures. And they cover things like um, uh, medieval wars in, in Britain, so things like Agincourt, um, the Wars of the Roses, which a Song of Ice and Fire is based off, incidentally. Right. Um, they've got uh, War of Independence, um, or Revolutionary War to you guys, I guess, um, Napoleonic. <laughs> um, they do uh, quite unusual things. They actually, so they do American Civil War, so they've got um, the Union and Confederacy, like well supported with plastic sets, including plastic cannons, cavalry, and loads of metal variant uniforms and things. They also did a what if, because at the time the British did send an army to Canada to support a side in the war. They never mm-hmm. actually joined in, but you could do a what if with the Brits in the American oh. Civil War if you wanted to. And they're the correct uniforms and weapons of the time is what they would have had. Um, they've got samurai as well, if people are interested in that. So they've got loads and loads. Um, also, you can always trust they'll be accurate in their historical research too, because man, they are sticklers. I went over to um, so one of the twins, Alan Perry. I went over to his house, and he's basically got a museum in there <laughs> of real stuff. He's like, oh, here's a real musket. Oh, oh wow, okay, Jeez. Like, like from the time. Um, anyway, so there's uh, another company called Vixtrix um, who 
initially did Napoleonic miniatures, but over time they're, uh, they've really evolved how they do things. And these days they have a fantastic set of ranges on things. Um, they've got a really, really nice selection of ancients miniatures. So the, the Roman legionary that we do is a Victrix miniature, one of their recent early Imperial Roman sets. They have a comprehensive um, covering of that Punic War period I was talking about a little while ago. So they've got multiple box sets for the Romans, um, for the Spanish, for the Gallic tribes, for the various successor nations, um, loads and loads and loads and loads. So if anyone's interested in that period, check them out. They also do Vikings and they are doing Normans as well, as I understand it. Hmm. Uh, now there is also warlord games um warlord games of if people are very familiar with how um like it is with games workshop where everything is kind of self-contained warlord are quite a bit like that so if you're worried about going wrong taking looks at their games um will guide you through it and they're particularly good for world war ii their bolt action range is brilliant um very easy to get into if new to historical gaming um and um yeah aside from that there's loads and loads of manufacturers out there um there's um well let me think war games foundry is very good um yeah i like them a lot and there's a whole host of really small companies that do specific little you know ranges based around that um probably but, far more than i could really go what through was today i think i saw <laughs> earlier today there was some athenians i'm trying to pull it up here you had oh, some the ones like... today uh yeah yeah there they are oh man these you have these just amazing athenian hoplites um, <laughs> um they are um so those ones are um for a game called war gods of olympus um under a larger bracket of war gods they're basically like a fantasy version of the ancient world ah um, interesting they're like fantasy athenians they're not really historical athenians as <laughs> Get a general idea. Oh, another, another company would be Fireforge Games. Now they make medieval plastics that are more high medieval. So um, they do crusades. Um, they also do things like your typical, you know, knight in armor with barding and all that sort of stuff. Um, and there's another company called North Star Figures. Um, now this is like a distribution thing, but under there you can see there's tons and tons of companies. There's one called Artisan, for example. Um, there's another one called Crusader, and um, they all have their own style and stuff. But if you go to North Star Miniatures, you can basically see all these things together, so you can kind of get a feel for what they all look like. Um, so yeah, I hope that's not overwhelming information there. I can see there's quite a lot, but <laughs> it is. But I mean, there's there's so much. I mean, there's you know you know we're over thousands of years of of warfare, but um... yes. I don't know. It's just like a whole, a whole new world. As someone who's been really kind of limited and sheltered in the type of gaming they've been doing, tabletop gaming, it's just you know this whole other world. And I'm so, I'm so excited to dive in. Um, so you know, if people want to follow along and and look at some of your amazing stuff, if for some reason they are not already, um, <laughs> wh where are the places that they can connect with you and see some of the awesome work you're putting out? Um, so I am on uh, many social medias. I'm on Twitter where I'm at Two Thin Coats, and I'm on Instagram where I'm Duncan J Rhodes. That's the letter J in the middle there. And we've just started a Facebook page as well, um, which is Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, which leads me on conveniently to um, a website that I run with a good friend of mine, a fellow called Roger Yates. Um, the two of us make painting tutorials for any Wargate miniature you can imagine. And you can find our website at duncanroads.com. Now we have a YouTube channel as well, which is Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy, um, where you can see the kind of things we do, um, essentially painting videos that pick a miniature and show you the process of painting it from start to finish. Um, our website has vastly more videos than we have on our YouTube channel. Um, it's a subscription site so that we can basically afford to feed ourselves. But um, we're closing on 50 videos at the moment, and this includes technique videos to teach specific techniques on things. And it's all divided up into various sections covering different things. So 
Song of Ice and Fire's on there, we've got Star Wars on there, and we've got historical miniatures on there as well. And we pretty much do whatever people want to see. So yeah, and, uh, and you know, so I'll just I'll jump yeah. in. I I am uh, I've subscribed to your service, and uh, one of the cool things you do as well is you let people kind of vote on some of the upcoming things. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And then you know, even when stuff has not yet come out yet, like so for Song of Ice and Fire, you have now the uh, I think Stark Outriders out there. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was originally also looking at your Riders of Rohan for uh, the Lord of the Rings game to get tips on like painting horses and stuff. And, and the other thing is like your basing videos in there, uh, that are really accessible and all your stuff is, but you know, I did my Targaryen horde using some of your desert and wetland basing and, you know, just pulls everything together. And yes. so all your stuff is filmed in like the same system style. So that like when you sit down, you can like really just focus on like what you're doing because you know how it's going to be laid out for you. So I would yes. just say, you know, as someone who uses it, it's, it's really great. And uh, the fact that it's, you know, just continuing to grow at the pace it is growing. I mean, it just makes it more and more of a sweet deal <laughs> as, as time <laughs> well, goes on. So oh, thank you. Uh, I've been very happy it. with it. So <laughs> I'm really glad we, we tried to make it as accessible as possible and to follow um, like a set format so people understand what they're getting but it's all designed for people to mix and match so like how you use the horses if you wanted to paint um, those French dragoons you can use the way we paint horses to paint French dragoons and when we eventually get around to doing something like that you'll find that you can because it's all similar formats to how I do stuff you can kind of just like take sections and put them in as you like so um yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you like it. I hope people yeah, do it. Honestly, it's been awesome because in following you consistently now, like I'm just getting better at painting because I'm being more consistent in how I'm approaching my painting. Whereas mm. when I was kind of like looking out all over the place, like I kind of saw a Twitch stream of somebody or this and like, you know, it wasn't really cohesive. So yeah. so that's my plug, I guess. If, if you guys <laughs> check it out. We did a video on it too, if you want to check our our, uh, our uh, YouTube video of his, of his site. But just go to... Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. <laughs> On there, there's a contact form, which when you email, it actually comes through to me. Um, I'm sort of at the point now where I can't quite find the time to reply to everybody, but I do read everything. Um, so if anyone does ever want to talk to me or ask me a question or anything like that, you can contact me via there, um, or you can look me up on social media like Twitter or anything like that. And I am, I will and am doing my best to reply to many people as I can. Well, once again, thank you so much. I feel like you know you really are in many ways an ambassador for this hobby as a whole. I mean, I can't believe not only are you able to come on and talk about like a Song of Ice and Fire miniatures and obviously, you know, Warhammer, but, you know, just being such a depth of not of, you know, a resource of knowledge on all forms of, of miniature gaming. I think it's really appreciated that you've taken the time to share that information. Oh, you're very welcome. I think I feel I've been very lucky um, being around the people that I have been around and the people I know and the contacts that I've been able to get. Um, and yeah, there's been I, when I was working Games Workshop Studio, there's a lot of people who have been in the wargaming industry for like forever. And they've taught me so many things about historical gaming and kind of helped me get into it. And um, I mean, with the Academy, it's largely about that. It's like trying to break down barriers. And I think with historical gaming, there can be some barriers. Um, so, I mean, I've got some ideas on content about helping people get into it. Like I you know, rambled a bit about it in this podcast. No, it's great. Um, it's, uh, yeah, that's very much the, the driving thing I've got. I kind of, I've been very lucky and I really want to pass this sort of stuff on. So, um, so thank you for saying so. I do it. <laughs> well, <very> nice. <laughs> and, and thank you for your support as always as well. And guys, get out there, check out some of these miniatures. You know, it's always fun. Even if you're like, man, I want to stay diehard with my uh, Song of Ice and Fire stuff. Like sometimes it's fun just to break things up and paint some, some Romans or some, some uh, Gauls or barbarians. Like 
You know, there's lots of cool things out there. So I hope you guys are getting plenty of time to paint and play games. And in the meantime, hope you get your miniatures on the table.